After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in here. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. You know, Josh, I really thought this was going to be the year. I really, really, truly believed this was going to be the year. It has been unprecedented in the lead-up to the trade deadline. I thought this might be the year an official got traded. It didn't happen. You know, I was hoping. I think there are some good guys out there. Jacob Chikrin, great skater. I mean, I think we could throw him on the lines, no problem. Got some injuries going on. I was open to it, but unfortunately, the officials just don't have the type of draft picks that these teams are looking for. They move around enough, and you had a great social post this past week about the itineraries of some of the refs, and if you ever thought you might want to do this for a living and how hard can it be, look at the travel that Josh put up in a nice chart there. That was unbelievable. Yeah, it was interesting taking a snapshot of where these guys came from and what the past few days looked like, and we're trying to do a little more digging, so look for a little feature coming up on what it's like for the officials traveling, including what the mileage looks like, what the frequent flyer miles, what the traveled nights, what the hotel stays look like over a season for a guy which it it really paints a crazy picture when you start to follow them zigzagging all over the map pretty interesting and when you've got a full roster and you go well where did they work the night before and the night before that and the night before that you realize some guys are working three games in three nights some guys are working three games in three nights with ahl games in there some are just jumping back and forth across the country the nhl the officials they do a ton of work to coordinate this the logistics of getting the guys to the right place at the right time to make sure everything's covered it's a ton of work. It's a ton of management. And remember, the officials are traveling on their own and they're traveling commercial. So there's a lot on them to make sure they get where they need to be as well. Cheers to all that have done so well so far this year. And this is, by the way, the Scouting the Rest podcast, if you hadn't figured that out already. You get Josh on Twitter and on Instagram at Scouting the Refs. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram. Coming up on this week's episode, Macaulay with the takedown. Keandre, let's fly. An elbow, a chop, and how many goals are you actually going to overturn? I think we had a, a, a maybe a near record this past week. I think it might have been. We'll see if we can find any that have beaten it. But no, we, we might have a tie for a league record. Let's begin on a very nice, pleasant thank you note that was was sent to us from Mike in New York City. He said he really enjoys the show, listen all the time, tell other refs about the information you guys have, look up game circumstances, find it on YouTube, uh, and, and he really appreciates the show. It's definitely helped me understand why certain calls are made or not, especially the spearing to the chest that never gets called. <laughs> I started officiating two years ago at age 46, never really played hockey, podcast needless to say has really helped. Really appreciate the the nice note, Mike. Thank you very much. And one of those spears slashes occurred in a Rangers-Capitals game this past week when it was Evgeny Kuznetsov doing the stick work on Philip Heedle. Yeah, it was a clear cut. Well, at least from what I saw, Todd, it looked like a clear spear on that one. It was ruled as a slash, as we often see, but 
by the letter of the law, at least on the video review angles that we were presented with, it did look like a spear. And rule 62 is pretty clear in the rule book. Spearing is stabbing an opponent with the point of the stick blade, whether contact is made or not. It's a double minor if you miss. It's a major penalty if you connect and it's a match if there's an injury. So Kuznetsov got away with this one. He jabs Heedle down low with the with the toe of his stick. And as we typically see in these cases, it's a two-minute minor for slashing. I I, I don't get it. Uh, yes. Well, and, and maybe this is the officials kind of as we're we're looking at the dangerous trip versus slew foot in trying to to where does it actually cross the line? Is it a spear? Is it a splash? Maybe we call it a splash. <laughs> splash. <laughs> I like that one. We're just trying to bridge the gap there between a spear and a slash. And you know what? I, I, I'll back up, though. I. I, I think, like you said, with the dangerous trip, it, it doesn't quite qualify for what they're looking at with a slew foot sometimes, but they don't want to let it go unpenalized. So you get a tripping call that might be something that happened to be a little bit more severe. And we see lots of suspensions and fines when it comes to the dangerous trips. But it feels like a slash isn't quite enough. I mean, I guess they're they're reserving those spears for something that's more egregious, something that was more of an intent to injure. But I don't know, Todd, you want to get these plays out of the game? You don't even have to change the rule book. Just call it as it's written. There you go. One of the officials kind of, shall we say, got into the action this past week. There was great video of it. It's it's good textbook for <laughs> teaching youngsters, if you want. And this occurred when Wes McCauley was along the boards and Brad Marchand was skating the puck up and McCauley hit him with a good solid shoulder check right in the chest. Boom, down he went over and out. It was perfect. Yeah, McCauley did have quite a decent hockey career when he was coming up, playing some college hockey, playing lower levels. So uh, the guy can play. If we're drafting an all-officials hockey team, he's he's one of my first rounders there. So we can see that he can also deliver a body check. And you mentioned it's a good example of hitting. It's a good example also of just running out of space. This is one of those times when there just wasn't enough room for Marshawn to change course. And sometimes as an official, you're you're looking at giving up one way or the other. You can give up the boards and let the player go behind you along the boards, or you try to give up the space in front. And it, it looked like there was a bit of a miscommunication, not enough time for either participant to adjust and change course. So you had a full-on collision. Macaulay delivering the reverse check there, <laughs> knocking Marshawn right down. Yeah, and it's it's a wonder that this actually doesn't happen more in games because the action is so quick, especially when there are a number of players converging on a puck in different areas. So it's one of those things that happens, but you know you just kind of have to live with it now and again. And everybody, I think, kind of cheered because it was Brad Marchant, the recipient. Of course, it was funny, and it happened in Vancouver, so I don't think yeah. they love him there. But it's tough. As an official, you don't want to get in the way of the play, and you get used to from positioning standpoint, just trying to make sure you're giving players space. But whether it's Macaulay taking out Marshawn here along the boards or linesman Ryan Daisy getting injured on a dump in that caught him in the knee, he's giving up the boards there for the dump in. And of course, the guy shooting the puck happens to shoot it right in and catch him in the knee there. So you've got an injury on the play. The officials are doing what they can to stay out of the play, but the players need to do their part to try to avoid the officials sometimes as well. Exactly. And that's why we have no fault insurance. Okay, <laughs> let's let's get to the one incident that got an awful lot of attention and chatter over the last week. And that has to do with Keandre Miller, who was assessed a match penalty for spitting on LA Kings defenseman Drew Doughty. There was a scrum at the end of the play. There's a lot of pushing and shoving. And as the video clearly shows, a spittle projectile sent in the direction of Drew Doughty. Now, I didn't see Doughty really freak out about this, which 
you know, if you had seen someone deliberately try to spit on you, that's exactly the reaction that you would expect to have. But the officials saw it. They they made the call. He was he was penalized appropriately and was given a hearing with the Department of Player Safety. The result was a three-game suspension. Now, this matches the three-game suspension that Garden Hathaway received in 2019 for the same offense. So I guess first step, there was consistency in the ruling here, accidental or not. Right. And I'm hot and cold on that because people complain about player safety being inconsistent and they want consistency in the rules and we want things to be done the same way and handled with the same type of severity. But every situation's different. If you go back and you watch the Hathaway incident, I mean, there's an altercation there. These guys are punching. They're getting separated, restrained by the officials. And he responds to a jab with a spit. It's clearly intentional. It's clearly directed in response as part of that altercation. Three games for that one. You go back a decade before, Chris Gratton gets three games for spitting at referee Paul Stewart. So you've got three games for that one. This didn't seem as intentional, and I know it's it's hard to say. We can't really judge intent there. Guys are spitting all game long. It's, it's really unfortunate. It was terrible timing by Miller, but there wasn't much going on. I mean, it didn't seem like something where this was an aggressive act or intentionally disrespectful. I know he was really contrite afterwards. He was apologizing, said he didn't mean to do it. I get it. You give the match penalty, but I was a little surprised about the three-game ban. I thought they might be a little easier on Miller just because it didn't seem as obviously intentional. I mean, we have no way of reading his mind to know if, if it was. He seemed to be very apologetic. But the previous ones, the previous three gamers clearly were directed at the opponent and were in response to a physical altercation. So I get that. I was a little surprised, but I guess if nothing else, we know where the line is for spitting. I understand that. And it makes sense if there was a lesser sentence in this case because he showed remorse. I suspect you would have had a lot of blowback saying, oh, well, you just have to say it. you didn't mean to do it and you get less of a suspension. So you're concerned with the optics there. But here's the other part that gets me. We have three game suspensions for a cross check. We have three game suspensions for a hit to the head. And we also have three game suspensions for spitting. And to go along with the point you're making, Where's the consistency and shouldn't some offenses be more than others? Because in this case, I would deem this not as serious as a three-game penalty for a cross-check or a high hit. That's a great point. And you have Abe Kubel's check to the head. You have Alexiak with a check to the head. You have Skinner with an intentional direct high stick to an opponent's face. You've got situations that are dangerous and causing injuries in most cases that are also at that three-game mark. But kneeing? elbowing, boarding, hitting from behind, those have maxed out at two-game bans this season, so clearly not nearly as egregious. And I know spitting is disrespectful. I know it's disgusting. It's gross, yeah. But Dowdy wasn't injured on this play, and no one has been injured as a result of spitting. Meanwhile, you're getting a two-game ban for boarding that could potentially end a guy's career. Yeah, again, I don't know what the solution is, but that's the question that I'm kind of left with in this whole thing. Let's move on to a couple of incidents that were sort of maybe unfortunate but understandable because of positioning. And the first one I'll think of is Max Domi, who was a little miffed at officials this week because a stick came up as he and others were reaching for a puck and Max lost a tooth or two and there was no call on the play. And This is not reviewable, even despite the physical evidence. 
Right. It's not the evidence that you need to review. It's seeing that there was an injury on the play. And if there is an injury and one of the referees sees it or even one of the linesmen, if there's an injury, they can report it to the officials. If they generate a call on the ice, that's either a major match or a double minor for high sticking. Then they can take a second look. So didn't happen on this play. There wasn't that situation. So it wasn't eligible for review. But yeah, Domi was understandably aggravated. The stick came up and hit him in the mouth. The unfortunate detail for Domi is that his attempted stick lift is what caused the stick to go up and hit him in the mouth. So it's oh, don't clutter this with details. It's, it's, I'm just pointing out that you know what? Sometimes Max, you, you got to take responsibility for your own actions. You caused it, so I, I get the non-call on this play. All right. The other positioning question, if you will, is in the game with the Edmonton Oilers, where it appeared that Warren Fogel was all set to score a goal. However, it was uh, Frederick Lecouillet who was a little quick on the whistle on this one. Yeah, no goal for Fogel there. Sorry. <laughs> sneak that one in. Um, it was, it's, it's one of these shots when you can see it and the camera angle was great for all of us at home. It was clearly a loose puck in the crease and you've got Lecouillet, he's in the far corner there directly opposite the camera's view. He sees the puck get gathered up and from his standpoint, the goalie's frozen. He doesn't see the puck dribble out to the goalie's left where it's an easy deposit for a, a quick goal there and man it's one of those plays where as a referee it's killing you that you you're positioned to watch the play but there's always obstructions it's the net it's the goalie it's the other players and Paul Stewart said plenty of times he has the money's at the net and applies to officials too and you want to be in the best spot to see it maybe not optimal but he did have a great view of the whole play it's just unfortunate when you have those situations when the key part you needed to see was the part that was obstructed on this play and one of them where it was close We've seen the NHL come back and allow goals when it's part of a continuous play where it wasn't impacted by the whistle. And I would say this was close to one of those. But unfortunately, once the whistle sounds and once they've actually signaled to stop play, you've, you've got to disallow the goal. But it was close. It was very close to one of those situations. Maybe what we need for these kinds of plays around the net is, you know, those mirrors they have up in parking garages <laughs> for blind corners? Yes. If you stick one of those on either post at the, at the corner, that might... <laughs> That might help the officials in this case. I don't know. I, I think that would give them some great visibility, and I'm going to get roasted for this one. But, uh, you know, our, our buddy Steve Coolius will be harping at me for the eye in the sky that he always wants that video ref from overhead. We know they've got great overhead angles of both creases, and having somebody stop play from overhead would assure you whether or not the puck was still loose at the time. I don't want to take the whistles out of the officials' hands, but boy, that would have given a perfect bird's eye view to see that puck sitting there in the crease, wouldn't it? I'm open to having a discussion about having <laughs> an official in the press box. I think it's really going to be difficult to figure out the logistics of that, though, of communication and who takes over and when they make the call and stuff. I think it would be a very difficult thing to do. And it's obviously it's only going to be at the elite level of hockey. You can't do it at every level. And that's what makes it really hard, right? Because part of this, and, and we can look at it even with the way officials are treated, you look at things at the NHL level and you realize how much of it applies to lower levels. If they start relying more on replay and technology and eye in the sky, you can't have that at the lower levels. And it builds unrealistic expectations for what those officials can do because they don't have those tools at the disposal, let alone the technology and things like that. So it does create a weird situation where you make that gap between the NHL and amateur hockey for what it's like for officiating for players taking part in the game dramatically different, even more than it is today. 
Well, I'm telling you, everybody's got a phone. So if they all turn them on at the same time at the start of the game, we'll have lots of video and lots of angles. Don't you think at whatever level? Hey, I just heard of uh, USA hockey refs who are debating whether they should wear the police body cameras just to protect themselves, (laughs) not only for on ice incidents, but for the things that have been going on with parents, with coaches, with uh, things that you don't want out there on the ice. You know what? Maybe this is a good way to keep us protected. So, hey, uh, options are out there, right, Todd? This is how the ref cam is going to come back, isn't it? You know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. So, okay. A couple of things uh, that I think we can deal with rather quickly. And I, I still blame Josh for putting up his, uh, how many days, 62 without suspensions <laughs> yes. or whatever. Whoops. And it's just, you know, the intensity got up and it got nasty in Vancouver and Dallas uh, last week because we had uh, Colin Miller fined $5,000 for elbowing uh, Vancouver's Niels Amon and not to be outdone, Christian Wolanin got uh, $2,000 for a chop on Dallas forward Ty Delandria. Um, no penalty was called on this place. Both both fines are the maximum allowed. But I'm telling you, it was that sign that's the reason all this started. Again. Oh, man, I, I couldn't believe this one. And I think this might be the closest two fines in game time that were not from the same incident. So, <laughs> yeah, you may be uh, you may be right there. So, well, there's another game and we touched on it. I think I don't know if it's a record itself or if it's equal to record. But when Tampa and Florida played this past week, three times goals were overturned because of coaches' challenges. I do not remember hearing or seeing of that previously. I've seen two, but I do not remember having seen three before. The other one in this game is there was a trip called on Sergei Bobrovsky. Now, sometimes that's a, a stick that a goalie has in his position and takes a player down. This one was like a leg trip. He stuck his leg <laughs> yes. out and knocked a player down. It was unbelievable. For a goalie to take a leg trip, I mean, you, you've got to be pretty crazy, but I think Bobrovsky falls into that category there of just sticking your leg out. That's a bit more of a commitment than just the stick. I mean, you you can potentially injure yourself on that play, but certainly not something we see every day. Something that I I remember growing up used to be pretty common. They have some aggressive goalies out there where you'd have Ron Hextall taking guys out. Now he's just busy mismanaging the Penguins. But we have had some three challenge overturns or three challenges in a game before. I don't remember ever exceeding the three challenge limit. So uh, it was certainly tying a season high and possibly a league high of having those three goals overturned. I will give full marks, though, to the coaching staffs, the video coaches for both Florida and Tampa there. Getting it right, that gives Maurice five straight coaches' challenges correct. You know, Cooper's three and one on the season. So these guys have mastered the art of the coaches' challenge to their advantage. They're uh, they're smart about when to do it. Yeah, that is uh, that is pretty amazing. And it got me thinking again, too. And it was Nick's, Nick Cousins that served the penalty for Sergei Bobrovsky. If a goalie has a penalty like that, you know, should yes. they really serve it? I mean, they, they, they change. if you change goalies, you send in the backup without any warm-up. I mean, it'd be the same kind of thing. I like the idea of doing it. It would make goalies be on their best behavior. I think sometimes you get some marginal ones. But this one, the obvious trip by Bobrovsky, I want to see him serve it. I want to see him just fit through the door in the penalty box, sit down on the bench, <laughs> squeeze himself in there. I'm okay with that. I think you do the crime, you can do the time, Bob. Yeah, that might be the biggest challenge is getting them in and out of the <laughs> be- out of the penalty bench in short order. So let's uh, wrap up with uh, kind of a nice one. And that Hockey Week Across America wraps up. USA Hockey youth officials got to meet with NHL and AHL referees before games and in some cases be out there for the anthems. I, I love to see that kind of stuff. I'd love it when teams 
bring out young hockey players and have them stand on the blue line for the national anthem. Some teams are better at it than others. The players get into it. They do high fives with the youth hockey players that are out. But I think it's great. Anything to bring in more young people to officiate and learn about officiating at the lower levels and hopefully move up and have a long career in officiating, I think is a good thing. Absolutely. A chance to stand out there with their idols, to be out there for the anthem. I know some of the AHL teams did ceremonial puck drops. So it's really cool for these guys and girls that get to take part in these events. It's tough being official. It's really challenging to be an amateur official. There's a lot of things that you have to put up with from the coaches, from the parents, from the fans. And it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of their time. And and it's it's tough. So anything, like you said, Todd, that gets to recognize, celebrate them and, and give them a chance to, to be out there and to take part in National Hockey League games, American Hockey League games, whatever it is. Wonderful to see. So congratulations to all the young officials that were selected to take part in these events. And hopefully... They can inspire others and keep going in their officiating careers. Maybe we just need parents at minor hockey levels to remember, too, that they're they're always told to be supportive and positive with their kids on the ice. Well, the refs are kids out on the ice, too, and you should be just as supportive and positive. We're done! Good job! You're good, my book. Good stuff, man. Way to work. Yeah, we're good, man. Too long. Let's go sit for a couple. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Okay. That's, nice. Nicely done. That's good work.